Father, thank you for a wonderful new year. Uh, This is a great day. Thank you for your good and faithful provision going ahead of us again, providing for us uh, with some land in Burleson for our South Campus. This is just such an exciting day, and to be down there with them for that announcement uh, was, was very, very special. So thank you for your kindness and goodness to your church Christ Chapel. Uh, We love her. Thank you for loving her and loving us. And I pray that your spirit would be here. Lead us and guide us into truth. Your word is truth. And so we look forward to learning from you tonight. And pray for it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, and one other reminder. It's getting less and less. uh, There's fewer and fewer games. But because these are the playoffs, there are people who have recorded the games and have not yet watched them. And they would prefer, I understand it, to not know the score if you do. It's okay that you know the score. Just hold it in, and uh, those people would love to chat with you tomorrow, but not today. Okay. We're going to finish 2 Samuel tonight, and... Oh, yeah. Well, we finish 2 Samuel tonight, but we're kind of going to finish... David's life, we'll have one more lesson um, in Chronicles, or from Chronicles, next week. And Laurie reminded me to tell you, we do 37 of 39 books in the Old Testament. We don't do First and Second Chronicles, because basically it's a repeat of First and Second Kings. I know, but that's what we do. This will be the only lesson next week that we do in Chronicles. And it's one of the differences between Chronicles and Kings, and so I wanted you to see that. Uh, So anyway, tonight we're going to finish 2 Samuel. Next week will be Chronicles, and the week after that we'll finish David's life, and David will hand over the kingdom to Solomon. So we're here at the end of David's time. Uh, in the scripture. So 2 Samuel finishes. We're going to conclude our study uh, on 2 Samuel. Really, all of Samuel is about the monarchy. 2 Samuel, in particular, has been about the monarchy. And tonight, if you had opportunity to read these chapters, you probably thought, you, you probably didn't get what was going on. Anybody have a chance to read it? Okay, good, good, good. Well, if you would have had the chance to read it, you would have, chapter 20 is the revolt of Sheba, and 21 is David avenges the Gibeonites, and then there's this thing about the Philistine giants, and then there's a chapter of a song David wrote, and then chapter 23 are David's last words, and and they cover the mighty men, and then in chapter 24... David takes a census, and then 2 Samuel is over. And you think, this is very strange. There's these sort of random hodgepodge stories about David and his life and his mighty men and some of his exploits, and it's like somebody gathered them up and stuck them in at the end of 2 Samuel, sort of at the end of Samuel's life. Uh, at the end of David's life. 
Sound like anything you're sort of familiar with today? Um, I've had the privilege of doing many memorials. When you eulogize someone, you get different people sharing different stories of that person's life, things that have been particularly meaningful to them and they want to share them with you so that you get to know that person a little more like they knew them. That's what's happening at the end of 2 Samuel. David is being eulogized by God. There are some stories that didn't fit in anywhere else in the historical portrayal of David that the Spirit of God wanted recorded and included in the book of, at the end of David's life, which is at the end of 2 Samuel. And so what we have are some little vignettes, some little stories that the Spirit of God wanted written and recorded so that we would get a little more insight into David than we got in the first 19 chapters of 2 Samuel. So that's what this hodgepodge sort of thing at the end looks like. They're just stories that didn't fit that are now added in for us to get to know David a little bit better. Uh, I love this poem. Um, I, uh, again, it's a privilege to do memorials, and there's this poem that I love to read um, when I do that, and I think you'll... Um, get the point of what I'm talking about from this poem. Uh, This is from Linda Ellis. She said, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of her birth and spoke of the following date with tears But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved her know what that little line was worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters most is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. The dash, here are some stories to give us a little more insight into the dash in David's life. Great little stories here about how David spent his dash. 2 Samuel 20 through 24, and you say, well, how do I know this hodgepodge of things kind of is a eulogy? Great question. You're going to see that in Chapter 21, David avenges a sin of the Gibeonites. And in chapter 24 is another sin, David's, of pridefully taking a census. So this little thing at the end has two bookends of sin stories. And in between it, there are these other stories. But two of these stories have to do with Uh, David relieving a famine that was caused by sin and then David's own sin of taking a census. So Absalom's rebellion is finished. Remember it was last year we talked about Absalom's rebellion. That has been put down and Absalom has um, perished 
as a result of that. David has just put down Sheba's rebellion that threatened to divide the nation. Remember, Sheba said, hey, Israel, what do we have to do with Judah? Nothing. He blows the ram's horn. He says, let's get out of here. And so he begins taking Israel away after David is trying to pull and unite the kingdom back together. The kingdom is going to go to Solomon in 1 Kings 1 through 2. So chapters 21 through 24 seem to be an interlude, a collection of inspired vignettes from David's life where God eulogizes David through these stories to illustrate what his people should catch with these stories. Let's assume God doesn't put stuff in here just for no reason. Let's pretend God has a reason. And he does. And here's his reason. A lifestyle God won't allow to be forgotten. There are other parts of David's life that weren't hit on that God wants to make sure the reader understands. This is the kind of life I do not forget. And I make sure it gets included in my word for you to hear because it's that important. God is essentially eulogizing David and saying, this is a lifestyle I will not allow to be forgotten. Here it comes. First, God won't forget David's pursuit of holiness. Chapter 21, there's a famine during David's reign that lasted for three years. So David asked the Lord about it. And the Lord said, the famine has come because Saul and his family are guilty of murdering the Gibeonites. And so David speaks with the Gibeonites and says, how can we settle this? And they say, well, uh, we need seven of Saul's sons and we're going to execute them. And if we do that, um, that will, in a sense, clear the slate. And so that's what happens. They actually find seven of Saul's sons. They give them to the Gibeonites because Saul, though there was a promise made to not harm the Gibeonites, Saul went after them to slaughter them. So Saul did what he wasn't supposed to do because, remember, Joshua had made a promise that we won't hurt the Gibeonites. Remember they deceived him? Remember that a long time ago? You can't forget anything in the Old Testament. Can you remember? Yeah? So Joshua made a promise. Saul, whether he ignored it, neglected it, don't know, but Saul goes after the Gibeonites and is trying to wipe them out. And as a result of that sin, God said, now there's a famine on the land, and we need to take care of it. And this is in the days of eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And so there was a symbolic number of seven, probably a number of completeness. And so you give us seven of Saul's sons, we'll execute them. The debt will be paid, the slate will be cleared, and God will lift his hand and the famine will leave. So first, they have to purge the promised land of sin. And that's what's going on. That's why there's a famine is because there's sin in the land. Uh, David is compassionate and merciful toward those who formerly sought his life. But now he's got to purge the promised land of enemies. And he teaches others to slay their giants too. In, in verse 21, 
Oh, yeah, because then he goes on after he does that, and then we have this thing about the Philistines again. And remember, we talked a little bit about verse 16 and 17 is probably the event that made David stay home. It was in the springtime when kings go to war. And the reason he didn't go to war is in verse 16 and 17 because um, one of the giants had cornered David and was about to kill him. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. Then David's men declared, you are not going out to battle with us again. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? So they're pretty convinced David shouldn't go out again. This is probably the incident that led to David staying home that spring and getting into trouble. So God won't forget David's pursuit of holiness, particularly purging the promised land of sin being compassionate and merciful toward those who formerly sought his life, and then purging the promised land of its enemies, which were the giants, and teaching others, verse 21, to slay giants too. Uh, But when he defied, look at verse 21, but when he defied and taunted Israel, this is another, uh, another giant, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother, Shimei. Remember, they weren't all, always so close. Remember when he went out to the battle lines before David fought Goliath? Well, he evidently had a son named the son Jonathan. And the son learned how to kill giants by watching David. So David's pursuit of holiness, David fought with supernatural power against sin and the enemies in God's land. God won't forget David's pursuit of holiness. He won't forget David's humble dependence on him. And so in chapter 22 and 23, we get this long song where David extols and praises God. And then in 23, he adds some additional um, words to that, at least through verse 7. And it's really David singing praises to God. He says in the first 19 verses that God is his deliverer. That then in 20 through 28, how God blessed David's obedience. In 29 through 43, how God strengthened David and gave him more responsibility because he had been faithful in little and God continued to make him faithful over more. That God and his word are David's security, 44 through 51. And then God made David his anointed leader in chapter 23, the first seven verses. How many psalms are there? Hearing a lot of answers. (laughs) Good, 150. David probably wrote 73. Almost half of the Psalms written by David. David, it seems, couldn't live a day without God or without humbly submitting to his authority. If you haven't had a chance to read uh, chapter 22, um, even the first part of 23, but 22 is, is just a marvelous song that David writes about God. I, should, I would encourage you to read it. It will be very encouraging to you about God. 
You sometimes find yourself in a, like in a quiet time. I'm sure you don't do this. I do this from time to time. Um, oh, Lord, it's morning. Thank you. Here's my list of needs. And I just jump right into, would you change my circumstance? Would you give me this? Would you take away that? Um, I can do that. Reading this song, which is basically a psalm, uh, shares great information about God that you can use in your quiet time. Maybe before you jump into, <laughs> would you rescue me? Would you give me? Would you take from me? All these kinds of things. It's just ways to, to look at God and praise him for who he is. A great thing to add into our prayer times. God won't forget David's pursuit of holiness. He won't forget David's humble dependence on him and how David longed for and thirsted for and panted for in one of his psalms. God, panting for God. God won't forget David's humble dependence on him. God won't forget David's leading others into kingdom service. And so chapter 23, that's where we have 8 through 34. Five, yeah, okay, 8 through 35 or 39. Uh, this is the list of David's mighty men. And you see all these names and the ranks and some of the stories about why those fellows were part of the mighty men. Uh, then he moves into, in verse 18, so there's the three. There's at least the three. And then there's the 30. And you get to verse 39 of chapter 23, and whose name is there? I mean, just, you just keep this in mind, what David did, uh, not good in any way, shape, or form. So there were the three, and they're listed, and some of their exploits and some of their deeds are listed then it almost seems like there's the second three, and then there's the two, and then there's the 30. Point of all that, particularly um, you look down at 15, 23, 15. David remarked longingly to his men. Remember, they're um, on the run from Saul. Uh, verse 13, once during the harvest when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped all around him. The three who were among the 30 went down to meet him there. David was staying in the stronghold. A Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. David says, oh, how I'd love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three, these guys, these were like double Green Beret kind of guys. The three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. So what are you thinking if you're the three? Okay, so here's what I did. <laughs> broke through the lines, <laughs> went to Bethlehem, filled up this thing of water, came back with it, and you're not drinking it. You're pouring it on the ground. Thanks a bunch, David. 
Isn't that kind of what you're thinking? The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. Crazy. Do you know when you offered a drink offering? It was on top of a blood sacrifice. Do you know what David is saying to these men? You basically put your lives on the line for me. All I can do is add a drink offering on top of the offering you've already given to God on my behalf. How could I drink this water? And so on your behalf, I pour this offering on top of the offering you've already climbed up on the altar to give yourselves. I just pour this as a drink offering to you. Those guys were like, whoa, we will follow David to the ends of the earth. That's what he sees as our service. David inspired these men. He wasn't being silly or frivolous with what they had done. He saw what they had done as a sacrifice and offered what he could, a drink offering, on top of their sacrifice. These men would have followed him. They did all the days of his life because of how they, after. So leading others into kingdom service. God won't forget David's leading others into kingdom service. David's life inspired other men to follow him into kingdom service. The way he lived his life, the way he served, the way he sacrificed on behalf of the Lord inspired other people to follow him. You can see when he honors their sacrifice so profoundly, they're inspired to follow him more than they had been doing before. God won't forget David's leading others into kingdom service. God won't forget David's pursuit of holiness. He won't forget David's humble dependence on him. He won't forget how David led others into kingdom service. These little stories at the end of 2 Samuel telling us three major points of a lifestyle God won't allow to be forgotten. God is going to make sure these stories that tell these things got into his word so that you and I could see them and learn from David's life even at the end of his life. A lifestyle God won't allow to be forgotten. How about you? God won't forget your pursuit of holiness. Are you purging sin from your life? Or still allowing it to pollute you? Do you need to be cleansed of a sin? I don't know what it is, but you might know. 1 John 1.9 is available to you and to me. Are you naming and fighting the giants intruding into the kingdom of your man's soul? If you don't have the book, Respectable Sins... I still encourage you to buy it. I think they have a Kindle version. So you can get a Kindle version. Uh, 
he's got great, great, great observations in there. If you say, you know what, I'm probably pretty close. I'm probably about 95% of the way to Jesus. I just need to kind of have him get me over the goal line, so to speak. You might read this book and you might back up just a little bit, a few, a few steps. You might say, you know, it might not be 95. It might be not even five. <laughs> You'll, it'll just reframe your perspective on how you live your life and the things you're paying attention to and maybe the things you're not paying attention to. But are you naming and fighting the giants intruding into the kingdom of man's soul? I didn't bring the book with me because I figured if it's the new year, I wouldn't hit you with it quite, quite so fast. How about uh, just think of the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit? So love. Okay, so the opposite of love, it could be hate, but anti-love. Anybody you're anti-loving? For God so loved the world. How did he so love the world? By sacrificing and serving. By doing good for others. Like me, who didn't deserve it. For God so loved the world. Are you sacrificing? Are you serving even those who don't deserve it? Joy. That's the second one, right? Love, joy. How's joy doing? What can, what can sneak in? Lots of things. How about, let's just start with lack of contentment. Can we, can we name that one? I don't know. Maybe you can't. Maybe I can. Lack of contentment. Anger, bitterness, all those kinds of things that can steal my joy. How, how are you doing in the new year? How'd you do over Christmas break with those? Love, joy, peace. Ah, peace. What's the opposite of peace? Well, let's just go to patience. What's the opposite of patience? <laughs> Impatience. Anybody? Yeah, anxiety, impatience. Anybody got that? Don't raise your hand. Can you, can you name that one? If you can name it, then that is a, like a Philistine giant who's running around in your land, the land of your mansoul, just like these giants. What do we need to do? Hi, would you please leave? That doesn't work, does it? They have to be killed or run out of town. And you can't do it. What do you have to do? Go to the Lord. Daddy impatience is back. And he's yelling at me that I really need to get anxious about this or that or the other thing. And I'm really feeling anxious. It's so much easier for me to listen to him than for me to listen to you. But you said, don't worry. And so right now I'm going to try, I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to hold on to you and I'm going to not worry. And I'm going to be back in about 12 seconds and I'm going to ask you again. (laughs) 
because I'm going to start getting anxious or worrying again. Anybody ever have this? Well, you know when you're dead? When you start trying to handle it in your own strength. You're just going to make up your mind. Like Fort Worth, where the West begins. And you just say, I can do this. I can strengthen myself. And I can just, I just won't worry. Let me know how that works for you. Because it won't. And even if it seems to work, it won't work long term. You need the Spirit of God to kill these enemies. You can't kill these enemies. But you've got to name them. Start naming them. Be honest with yourself. If you're frustrated with someone, if you feel resentment coming in, be honest with yourself at least and go to the Lord and say, I'm really feeling this way or I'm torqued this way over this person or this thing or this or this or this. Be honest with the Lord and have him, name it, and have him come against it. Are you doing whatever it takes to rid your land of such things? Or do you say, you know what? I'm good. I'm okay. Are you fighting in the strength of the Spirit? God won't forget your pursuit of holiness. God won't forget your lifestyle of humble dependence on him. Question back from Jacob's days. Are you planning or praying first these days? It's a new year. You can make a spiritual New Year's resolution to pray first and plan second. I know that'd be a crazy New Year's resolution, spiritual resolution, but you could make that one. Are you planning or praying first these days? How's your praise life? How much time do you spend praising God versus how much time you spend asking him for things? So how's your praise life? How well do you know God's character? David knew it very well because of all the challenges and difficulties he walked with God through. Those of you who have walked with God through some really tough things, you probably have some insight into God's character that other people might not have. Don't forget to praise him for those things you've seen and learned. So how well do you know God's character? Ah, yeah. How's your patience? Mmm. I don't, why did I write that? I don't like that one. God won't forget your pursuit of holiness. He won't forget your lifestyle of humble dependence on him. And he won't forget your life of leading others into kingdom service. Where are you currently serving and how regularly are you doing it? Is it just another project or has it become more of a lifestyle for you? Here's the relevant point for this lesson. Who have you inspired and invited into kingdom ministry this past year? If you're serving, well done. Who have you inspired and invited to join you? God won't forget these kinds of things. He won't forget your pursuit of holiness. 
your lifestyle of humble dependence on him, your life of leading others into kingdom service. The Dash poem finishes this way. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel. And be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read, with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? Will it include things like this? Because these are the things God will remember when we see him face to face. For next week, read 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21, and we'll talk about the census. Good lesson, short lesson to start off the new year. Guess this was particularly for you. They get a little longer from time to time, but we're starting off easy, getting us all back in the habit. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for David's life. Thank you for the way he lived it. Thank you for the way you portrayed the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that even at the end of this book that is about him, there were things you didn't want left out from the whole story. Things that we would see about him and about how he handled his life. And I'm just encouraged and reminded because you chose to include this in your word that these are things you didn't forget about David and these are things it seems you won't forget about us. Would you help us uh, to walk in that way, to walk in step with your spirit, to pursue holiness, to pursue kingdom service, uh, to do those things that you look with favor on and remember, and uh, we'll be glad when we get to see you face to face if we've lived that way. Would you help us please? We love you. We thank you for 2020 and pray this would be our greatest year yet. And we pray for it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.